KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, January 24th. A local psychologist talks about the impacts mass violence has on mental health. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Some San Diego City officials are working towards ending the city's COVID-19 emergency declaration. Several city officials yesterday released a joint statement proposing to join the state, ending the city's COVID emergency declaration at the end of February. The city's emergency declaration has been in effect since March 17, 2020. Are you still waiting on your California middle-class tax refund? Assemblymember David Alvarez, who is chair of the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, is planning to pursue an audit of the Franchise Tax Board's handling of the refunds. Alvarez represents the 80th Assembly District in San Diego County. Alvarez and other legislators are concerned about reports of stolen funds and a lack of responsiveness by the FTB. His goal of the audit is to make sure Californians who have not received their refunds yet get them as soon as possible. Alvarez will formally present his audit request at the next Joint Legislative Audit Committee meeting. For the first time in months, passengers will soon be able to ride the train from San Diego to Orange County again, at least on the weekends. The Orange County Transportation Authority yesterday announced railroad tracks in San Clemente impacted by coastal erosion are safe for limited passenger service. Amtrak Pacific Surfliner service will be restored the weekend of February 4th and 5th. Railroad stabilization work is expected to be completed in mid-March. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. The shooting in Monterey Park over the Lunar New Year weekend is serving yet another reminder of how random acts of mass violence can be. In the wake of these kinds of attacks, feelings of fear and hopelessness are common. Koko Nishi is a clinical psychologist with Counseling and Psychological Services at SDSU. She joined KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hyman to talk about the impact mass violence has on mental health. Koko, you were actually very close to where all of this unfolded. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Torrance and my parents still live there. And so um, my family lives in San Diego, but we went to visit my parents for the weekend and to celebrate Lunar New Year on Sunday. And um, in the morning, um, I have three kids, but I have two young daughters, they're seven and nine, and they wanted to get their ears pierced at the mall. And so we went over to Del Amo Mall. And on the way there, it was about 11 o'clock, and I saw several helicopters in the sky. And you know, I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, maybe there was a fire or something. But as we got closer, the police car started coming by. We were actually going in the same direction because it was very close to where they found the suspect. And so as we were coming out, I started getting text messages and looked on the news and heard the radio and they were sharing what had happened. And it was literally across the street from where we were. 
So it was a really surreal moment. Yeah. And one thing that strikes me is that you were with your young daughters. I mean, you know, this is something that we all kind of grapple with. But how do you talk about this situation with your children? I, it's an interesting question because I identify as Japanese Chinese American and growing up in my culture and in my family, we didn't talk about feelings. We didn't talk about emotions. We were taught to endure it and push through. To be honest, my first reaction was to go with what I was raised with and say, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Because that's how I was raised. And I'm, I'm not being critical of that. It's just that's what my upbringing was. And so I had to catch myself and say, no, actually, I think the, the news is saying that this might be the person who had hurt so many people last night. And there kind of started this conversation about like how they were feeling and, and they had a lot of questions. And so I kind of just opened that up. And as a psychologist and as a parent, it's interesting trying to navigate the two because on one hand, I, I didn't grow up learning how to communicate my feelings this way. And so trying to model that, trying to guide that with my own children um, as a psychologist is challenging, but also as a parent, just wanting to make sure that I'm emotionally supportive and, and give them space to process what they're going through. And we're still kind of processing it, to be honest. Right, right. And as people process this, there are certainly anxieties that come with going out in public spaces. So, you know, as a psychologist, how do you help people cope with the anxieties after a mass shooting like this has happened? Yeah, I think um, just from my own experience, even within my own family and the anxieties we were experiencing, I go back to really just making space to validate what we're experiencing. Uh, my daughters both expressed being scared and confused as to what happened and, and a little bit worried to be out in public with all these police cars and helicopters. And so I, I try to validate that. And I really encourage you know folks to allow their experiences to come up, allow whatever emotional feelings and experiences that they're having to have space to talk about that. Because I think what we tend to do in general in our community is to internalize and to kind of stay silent and, and not bring attention to ourselves. And so if folks are feeling anxious, if they're feeling concerned, or if they're worried, I think it's important to have a space where they can have those feelings validated and their experiences heard. And after a mass shooting, a lot of people are glued to the news and social media trying to learn more about what happened. What impact does that amount of focus have on mental health, you think? I feel as though it's just been compounded um, over the past few years with the pandemic and now with mass shootings. I feel as though on some level, um, we become so inundated with it that we become desensitized. And so we hear about another mass shooting um, right after and it's like, yeah, okay, this is the norm when it shouldn't be the norm. I feel that for me personally, the impact has been just that desensitization and also just the lack of compassion towards one another. We're so quick to judge and make assumptions when we see a headline. And that, I think, limits our curiosity in trying to find more about the truth and just kind of go with whatever we see or whatever we hear. That was Koko Nishi, a clinical psychologist with Counseling and Psychological Services at SDSU, speaking with KPBS's Jade Hyman. The tragedy in Monterey Park hits home for a pair of dance studio owners here in San Diego. They used to teach at the Star Ballroom where the shooting happened. KPBS's Alexander Wynn has that part of the story. I think it's a strategy on many levels. Vitaly Tarasov co-owns the Step 2 Dance Studio off Miramar Road. He recalls how warm and welcoming the owners of the Star Ballroom were when he first moved to California. 
He says the dance community is still shaken by the senseless shooting. They come to do what they love. Um, they come to dance. It should not be associated with any harm. Terzov's partner, Olga Ginsberg, was judging the California Chic Classic Dance Competition in Orange County Saturday night. The competition was attended by some teachers and students from the Star Ballroom. She says they are fearful and devastated by what happened in their own home. Because our dance studio, it's a home, second home for our students. And obviously for them to come home and feel fear that something can happen, this is super sad. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department announced a new effort to get a life-saving drug out to places where opioid overdoses are likely to happen. KPPS reporter Jacob Ayer tells us about a new initiative. Naloxone, commonly known as Narcan, is a medication that quickly reverses the effects of an opioid overdose. San Diego County Sheriff Kelly Martinez says a new program aims to get the treatment distributed to more people and places. We've seen too many parents who are not even aware that their child is using drugs wake up to find their teenager has died. We see instances where people who use drugs in a group and one or more of them overdose. These are all cases where naloxone could have made a difference. The Sheriff's Department is partnering with other agencies to make it more accessible where overdoses might occur, including schools, restaurants and bars, with the goal of distributing over 30,000 naloxone kits per year. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Coming up, four plants and a bird species are being removed from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Endangered List. We'll have that story and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Two weeks ago, we told you about a church in Del Mar hosting people without a place to live. KPBS reporter Claire Strong went to see how things have gone. Four individuals have been able to enjoy warm beds, home-cooked food and hot showers at St. Peter's Episcopal Church the past couple weeks. The parish hall was transformed into makeshift accommodation as part of the Interfaith Shelter Network rotational program, which involves different religious groups taking turns in hosting homeless people. Valerie Donahue is one of the volunteers and says it's about showing compassion. I just love meeting the people who come through the parish hall. They're not different from you and I, and uh, circumstances have been such that they are here, and I just love listening to their experiences. Despite lower-than-predicted numbers, which organizers put down to COVID vaccine requirements, there's been some early success, with one guest landing a job and another being reunited with her children. They'll now move on to the program's next location, St. James's Church in Salona Beach. Claire Strong, KPBS News. 
On the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has removed four plants and a bird unique to San Clemente Island from protected status. KPBS military reporter Andrew Dyer has this report. Recently, the Navy invited members of the media for a tour of San Clemente Island, 70 miles west of San Diego. It's the southernmost of California's Channel Islands, but unlike its well-known neighbor to the north, Catalina, San Clemente is not accessible by the public. That's because it's home to a Navy SEAL training facility and serves as a key training ground for Marine Expeditionary Units. It's also the site of the Navy's only ship-to-shore bombardment range. The island's isolation also led to the evolution of unique plants and animals not found anywhere else on Earth. On this island alone, there are 17 plant species found nowhere else in the world. That's Brian Munson, the botany program manager at Naval Base Coronado. So these conditions are different. So when uh, a seed or something from the mainland comes out here, it encounters new conditions uh, and it'll evolve uh, into something new. And that's, that's what's happened uh, numbers of times uh, on this island. Sheep were raised here until the 1930s when the Navy took over the island. Then, wild invasive goats devastated the plants that native birds used for nesting. When the Endangered Species Act became law in 1973, the Navy launched a program to remove the goats, and by the early 90s, they were gone. But the damage was done, and several native plant and animal species found themselves threatened or endangered. The island has been recovering ever since. Wildlife biologists from the Navy, together with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, began a decades-long program to recover those species. The island night lizard was removed from protected status in 2006, and now four plant species and one bird are being removed. Uh, the delisting of these species is huge. Um, in the entire history of the Endangered Species Act, only 10 plants have been delisted due to recovery. The San Clemente Island paintbrush, lotus, larkspur, and bushmallow are the four plants being delisted under the Endangered Species Act. The San Clemente Island bell sparrow, a small brown bird with a fluffy white breast, is also being removed from protected status. The San Clemente Island paintbrush, at the time of listing, there were only about a thousand individuals, uh, and the only way that that plant survived was existing on extreme cliff faces, uh, like you can see behind me. Uh, these extreme cliff faces were not accessible by the goats because the goats virtually ate everything that wasn't on one of those cliff faces. Experts say the successful recovery of these species shows that with proper management, the habitat can withstand the military's activities, including being shelled by warships. Yeah, so there are protected species within the shore bombardment area. Melissa Booker is the island's wildlife biologist. She works for the Navy and says that while it might be counterintuitive to shoot at an endangered habitat, those species are doing well. And the species actually thrive in these areas. The area of actual um, bombardment, things that actually target and hit the island, is relatively small, so about 9% of the island. And then the remainder of the area behind me is a large buffer. That buffer zone on the south end of the island, known as Shoba for shore bombardment area, is home to the now delisted island Bell Sparrow. Booker says even the areas in the direct line of fire from Navy ships show signs of wildlife. We have everything from foxes to shrike to bell sparrows uh, moving in and out of those areas and utilizing those areas successfully. With Wednesday's delisting, these species lose protection under the Endangered Species Act, but Navy scientists say their efforts will now pivot to preventing them from being relisted. On San Clemente Island near San Diego, I'm Andrew Dyer, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online 
at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening, and have a great Tuesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.